We are now going to have a chat with Julian Kenny, who's from Ballerina State. Um, good morning to you, Julian. Good morning, Simon, and to you too, Jill. <laughs> good morning. Um, how's, uh, how's the weather shaping up down on the Ballerine this morning, mate? It's a perfect day this morning. I mean, um, the last oh, month and a half has been quite good down here. I mean, it's, it's a similar story, I think, across most of the country this year, just a very wet spring and start to the year and um, at one stage you could, couldn't could really get through the place on a tractor or anything so it was a bit scary but we're um, we're, we're very um, optimistic now and, and hopeful that it's going to be a, a crack of vintage with um, some clear skies for the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just had a chat with um, Adam Waterwitz who obviously has uh, vineyards to play with in, in Tassie and, and uh, McLaren Vale and the Adelaide Hills and he was saying, you know, similar thing. Like it's these longer ripening uh, vintages are, are really good for for making great wine. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they make everyone a little bit nervous, but um, <laughs> at the end of the day, they're the ones that um, you really get the best wines from, particularly uh, in an area where we're producing predominantly sort of Chardonnay, Pinot, um, and then obviously cool climate Shiraz, and you're getting beautiful peppery spice from these cool years as well. Um, but yeah, it, it, you can get very nervous early in the season. That's for sure. Yeah, and especially when you can't get a tractor on to f- spray for disease and all that sort of thing. That was uh, no doubt very challenging. Yeah, and for us, we're we're actually a, a very low average rainfall um, area, so it's unusual for down here. So a lot of people just uh, struggle to struggling to adjust and 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 find that. I mean, me being uh, younger, I've sort of seen sort of more of this than I have sort of the really dry stuff um, with myself managing the vineyard, so um, easier for me to adapt, I guess. So, uh, so you're, you're a family uh, owned and run um, uh, a vineyard uh, back from sort of late, just, just before the 2000s, is that right? Yeah, so my parents um, got the property down here and started planting in 96 which is the year I was born. So I was in a little cradle carrier out there when all the vines were going in. Um, oh, you're a baby. So, yeah, yeah. And uh, my brother was two years at the time. Um, so it's been our entire lives. And um, it's been fantastic for, for the both of us to still be um, having a role in it and taking that sure. on uh, and see mum and dad sort of watching a little bit now. I mean, Dad mm-hmm. struggles to watch. <laughs> so, <laughs> geez, don't we hear that a... story repeated, Jill? Yeah, we really do. <laughs> I, I think particularly in this industry where it's um, there's uh, lots to sort of do and there's lots of things that can, can be changed by new and fresh ideas, it's hard to sort of um, let that happen. <laughs> I'd be I'd be interested to know on the windy, rainy winter's day when the pruning needs to be done, would you be happier to watch on that day? Oh, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> not a problem. Can I ask how many of those days would you get in a year? Oh, geez. Oh, the, this last winter, it was just about every single one. We were actually mm-hmm. struggling to get the pruning um, done yeah. at one stage because we've I mean, we're 26 year old vines now, so they're still, they're not um, that old, but trying to avoid pruning in the rain just because we don't want to get trunk rot or anything going on. So um, it, it was actually a bit difficult this year with that. Um, we do it all ourselves pretty much. So uh, two or three people out there, it 
gets um, gets tough when you have three or four weeks of, of rainy weather where you don't really want to be pruning. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Julian, have you have you had a look at any any of the the older wines uh, recently and and sort of um, you know chatted to Dad about what you know what he has seen as the development from you know those early years when the vines were young and and now with you know twenty five plus years on them. Um, you know how how he finds that he you know things have changed. Yeah, certainly. I, and um, we we've got a, a wrap of wines going from our very first vintage down in the cellar door, our '99 Chardonnay, the first one that was produced mm. on the property, um, going right through. And, and you're certainly seeing a, a much better depth in the wines. Um, mm. And I I think it's a bit of a um, particularly with the Chardonnay was just a, a sign of the times. The oak use was a lot heavier back in the day, um, but I think that was just sort of the stylistic thing that was going around. Yeah. Um, but the vines being older and they're, they're just more expressive, so you don't mm. need that oak use anyway. Um, so, uh, and that's been one of the big things for me, at least, is to try and really let the vines um, show where we are, particularly with Pinot. I mean, Pinot, uh, in my opinion, is the one that really showcases the vineyard and the year more than any of the others. Um, and being able to let them express themselves more and not be covered up too much by sort of, um, I guess, the winemaker's hand. Mm. Um, I, I found the close ask just on the on the Pinot. Um, you have quite a different offering. You have a fortified Pinot Noir. Is are you still doing that? Yeah, so we haven't for a little bit. We we only will ever do that in sort of the dry years, the, the particularly mm. good ones, because. Um, I mean, obviously, in those wetty years, you just get too much disease pressure to try and let that Pinot hang out there long enough. But yes, we, we um, so it was uh, done in a Solero system. So um, in our good years, we, we're picking very late. I mean, it's just sort of like a vintage port style, the way we um, started off. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly something different and it's not uh, overtly sweet fortified wine either. We're really mm. leaving the freshness in there. So it's, it's really nice. a spicy, um, fresher fruit style of fortified where you, you're sitting down with some cheese or charcuterie with it Ugh, as opposed yeah. to a dessert. Mm. Perfect. What, what would be the oldest one you have at the moment? You've still got sitting around. Uh, so it's, it's not um, – it, we've never done it as a single vintage release. Um, mm. So we've always just blended uh, as we go. Um, sure. Off the top of my head, I – I think we started it around 2006, 2007 um, when we when we first did that one. Hmm. So You're still too years. young to drink then. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> certainly. Um, and now you are able to drink, and you're you're um, a senior part of the winemaking team. Um, you've got a wine named after you, which is the Julian uh, Julian's Merlot. Um, mm. How much? How much do you get to lead the charge on on that stylistically and and with some of the decision making? Oh, I get free reign on the Merlot. <laughs> I mean, because it's <laughs> it's not it's not a variety that people really come to our region for. Um, no, the, the Chardonnay is the one where Dad has his biggest um, sort of play over. Um, so yeah, the Merlot, I, I get to basically do as do as I please with that one. Um, it's probably the most challenging. I mean, Pinot is obviously challenging, but because it's not really a great climatic area for the Merlot, um, it's really only those sort of dry, drier ends of the year where we get um, 
good ripening and that green character to really dissolve out of it. Um, so we, we actually turn most of it into rosé these days with rosé being so popular and um, playing around with some a, a bit more complex rosé. So we're using a little bit of oak use in there, um, picking slightly riper on some of it um, just, to, just to try and build more of a food wine than rather than just a sort of light summer's day smasher. Yeah, yeah. I, I love a rosé made from Merlot. And you, you, is, do you also use the Merlot for the sparkling rosé? I assume you do. Or do you use the Pinot? No, so, so the sparkling rosé that we have um, was a Pinot Chardonnay. Uh, right. And that one is a um, oh, geez, it's 2008 wine. Um, and, and so that one spent 10 years on leave. So we really went um, okay. sort of really traditional champagne on that one. Um, wow. Disgor- disgorged. 2019 um and yeah it's a fantastic one but yes yeah, we stuck traditional with that one with the chardonnay pinot beautiful uh did you still have stocks of that available for you know common we folk do. like there's me not, there's not a lot but, but we yeah do, i bet yeah. there isn't um and that's, I... that's pretty well all sold through just the cellar door and the restaurant sure how how much did you make of that that specific vintage that one got well because we did some that was disgorged earlier um, and then the stuff that we held back, there's only around or oh, 150 boxes of that one, and wow. that's okay. packed, so not yes. even dozens. Wow. Okay. Um, I'd be really interested to hear about your different ranges. I know you've obviously got the Bellarina State, but you've got the Port Arlington Ridge, 30 acres. Can you tell us uh, the differences between those ranges? Yeah. So Bellarina State, sort of more of a throwback to the traditional uh, European Burgundies. Uh, particularly like obviously Chardonnay Pinot Noirs, whereas our, our Port Ridge is really sort of those, I guess, more of your quaffers. They're, they're very fruit-driven, varietally expressive, uh, and just sort of designed to be very approachable in their early days. Um, yeah. And we, we're obviously not really seeing them through uh, uh, through the years anyway, so they're not an ageing one, that's for sure. Um, 30 Acres is our distillery. So we started that just pre-COVID, um, mm-hmm. which was a bit of fun. We, we had lots <laughs> of demand for uh, ethanol production at that stage, so we got lots of practice running our still for the guys making sanitizers that were buying ethanol. Mm. Um, and so the name 30 Acres stems from the fact we have 30 acres of vineyard and our gins are all produced off of our vineyard. So we do it from the very scratch, so distilling the wine to brandy, then taking to a neutral and working through to the, our gins from there. Yum. I see you've got a nice blood, blood orange gin and tonic. You've got a passion fruit mojito. Yeah, so we've just introduced uh, the canned RTDs in, in our um, 30-acre range. So as you said, yeah, the blood orange gin and tonic, uh, passion fruit mojito, which is obviously rum-based there. And we've um, we very early, my brother has a bit of a passion for rum, so we, we bought some molasses down uh from up north and uh, fermented that and, and have got that ticking away in the barrels too. So that's been a little bit of a fun experiment on the yeah, side. Nice. Uh, and then espresso martinis as well in that range. Wow. And so they, are they in bottle shops yet or is it just going to be a cellar door thing? So they're just being picked up by Dan's, the, um, okay. the, the can, uh, and then also the sort of down here at least in, in your local um, BWSs, etc. Fantastic. Um, 
Hey, uh, Julian, we've had a couple of questions from uh, one from Christopher and one from Kim. Um, just getting back to, to you sort of, um, you know, Pinot and Chardonnay, which are, um, you know, you, your leaders, I guess, for the region. Um, can you think about what sort of clones you've got from, you know, in for the Pinot vines, what sort of clones uh, you've got in and, and what suit the area most? Um, and then the second question is about Chardonnay and um, uh, over the last five years, how the popularity of Chardonnay has has grown or changed, um, you know, as styles change? Yeah, of course. So Pinot, we've got four different clones, three blocks. So one of those um, blocks is the interplanting of uh, 114 and 115 clones. Um, and that one actually had a little bit of Viognier slipped through the keepers. So <laughs> there's a, there's probably actually well, like two or two or three percent of Viognier in that block, which we just go ahead and pick through with it. Um, and that gives an interesting uh, brightness to it. We've got Viognier, which is ironically planted right next to it, which is how it got confused in there, I imagine. Um, and obviously that's usually used in the Shiraz, but it gives that a, a really nice lift the, the Pinot out of that block. Um, our other two plantings are D5V12 and MV6. I mean, MV6, the workhorse, yeah. sort of a, of Australian Pinot. And the D5, for me, is sort of the interesting one for us. I mean, it's your sparkling clone, typically down here at least. Um, but we see a fair bit of um, depth out of that clone when we let it go a little bit later. Um, and really vertical canopies. So you get really good sunlight onto the fruit most years in that one. Um, so the colour and the concentration can be quite nice, actually, in that clone. Um, I've been really liking playing around with that one a little bit more as opposed to just sort of throwing it off as the lighter sort of sparkling clone. Mm, that's interesting. Uh, Julian, can you tell us a bit about the experience that someone's uh, going to have when they visit you? Uh, what, what, what do you have on offering? Do you have a, a restaurant for lunch? Do you have accommodation? I, I think I've heard about some glamping that you guys <laughs> offer. Yeah, so uh, the restaurant on site and a separate cellar door tasting room on the on the same area. Um, so it's still offering uh, individual tastings uh, and really trying to make sure that people get a good experience with the wines and can really um, go as in depth as they like with those. Um, and yeah, glamping is um, soon to be up and running. Still just sort of ticking the last couple boxes um, from council to to get that up and running. Mm. Uh, and so that'll be interesting. The, the region down here um, sort of lacks a bit of accommodation, unfortunately. That's the one thing that we, we really need down this way. Um, mm. So any way we can uh, give people a bit more of an experience and be able to stay down here is, is fantastic for us. That's a a beautiful way to experience. I mean, glamping is awesome. Some of the offerings out there, some of them are better than most houses I've been in. Like they they really go all out. And so, and then you say you've got the restaurant um, as well, and you've got a smoking, a special smoking component to the menu. Yeah. So my mother is um, from Texas originally. uh, Right. My parents met over there um, before she came out here and married my father. And, and so we're, we're, keeping uh, a little bit of her family heritage going and and we offer um, Texas-style smoked American barbecue in the restaurant. And we also do all of our own um, cured meats. So we make all of our charcuterie in-house. So our capicolas, lonzas um, and different beef variants. Um, so really trying to just 
do as much in-house as possible there um, and, and just give a, a sort of a more premium offering on that front. Mm. Sure. Wow. Yum. Well, sounds like lots and lots to do, Julian. Um, it absolutely does. So, <laughs> yeah, are, you, a, are you open seven days or just the weekends or what? What's... So this time of the year we're winding back down, so it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday for us. Yep. Um, over the summer period we're typically open um, six days a week, still, still taking one day off. A family of four, uh, we, we have to have a day here and there because it is all run by us um, at the end mm. of the day still. So uh, nice small um, family uh, business. Um, and, yeah, so lunches Thursday through Saturday uh, and tastings as well. So, and tasting's good idea to make a booking, I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah, definitely booking with the tastings. Um, on a Thursday, Friday, you, you can typically get a space in there. Um, but you'll always be sort of talking to a winemaker as well at our place, which is one of the things we, we like to make sure yeah, that either myself or, or Kelly, our other winemaker, is in there. So, you, you really good. get a, a good guided experience there. Perfect, perfect. I, I just have one very last, completely non-wine related question. Uh, the the logo you have of the beautiful woman with the flowing hair. What's uh, what's that about? Oh, so she she's been sort of phased out actually. Uh, oh, she was okay. She was she was originally a bit of a throw to our our maritime aspect here, um, which is what really sort of gives this area of the Geelong wine region, this northern Ballerine, uh, its mm. sort of distinct character. We, we've got Bass Strait, um, south of us, and then obviously uh, Port Phillip to the north. So we are really surrounded by water here. Um, mm. And she's meant to be that um, lady off the front of the old traditional sailing ship. Mm. And we've yes, just sort of, of approached mm. that maritime climate. Yep. Okay. No, cool. Cool. As you say, she's being phased out. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we, it was, it was, um, she, other than the being the maritime climate aspect, didn't have a huge link. So we sort of just started to go, oh, We'll, we'll, we'll sort of phase that one away. <laughs> um, Julian, it sounds like a, a great story and, um, you know, family-owned, family-made and all that is, uh, is is fantastic. So, and, and as you say, come down for a tasting and you'll be talking to one of the winemakers. So it's, you know, there's something really genuine about that too. Mm. Um, so thank you. We, uh, we'll have to get down there and have a look. And, um, Jill, you'll have to get on and buy that... Um, Sparkling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I've got my eye on that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic wine and, and you don't see a lot of um, sparkling, obviously, aged that long, uh, at least down here. So it's, um, yeah, something different to have a try. Sounds good. Right on, Julian. Thank you, mate. Nice to meet you. Great I appreciate to chat. your time. Thank you. Uh, so Julian Kenny from Ballerina State.